Hello, and welcome to episode 48 of the Emerald Games Cast. My name is Nolan. With me is... I'm Janelle. And also... I'm Alex. For the first episode, where the second number is double the value of the first number, accepting episode 36, 24, <laughs> and 12. However, we're back. <laughs> it is December 4th. Uh, last episode, before we get into the, the bulk of this episode... Listener, we left you with a promise. We said that at the time we couldn't think of misconceptions from video games that we were supposed to be giving you due to a listener question that asked us. Um, I think before we start the episode, we should follow up on that. Okay. You guys have some of those? Um... And for, for just to refresh, if you guys weren't around last episode, the person said, like, what, what are some things, or they asked, what are some things from video games that you thought or something, some kind of misconception real life gave mis- you that doesn't apply to real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just like how I've been lying to my professors all term about how I would turn in my work I haven't turned in, I can't really say I'm keeping my side of the promise because I couldn't really think <laughs> of many things except for, I guess, like, one, I thought that money would be more obtainable as an adult, that I could get money easier and buy cute clothes easier yeah like if you're out of money just like go spend a few hours outside and you'll, you'll kind of find some yeah before and you if, come you, back. if you ask a grandparent from the 40s if that's the case they will say yes but it is not life isn't like that you can't go kill a monster or cut a tree down for money anymore mm. by extension by extension could we even say the idea that just by engaging with the systems around you you would just naturally be rewarded for your time <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. And that it would just kind of work. Yeah, I couldn't really think of any because I've never been wrong about anything. <laughs> so. Okay, well, I have a couple. Okay. Um, I'm excited. They're a little they're a little lame. They're not that exciting. But uh, when I played Call of Duty as a young, young boy, I sort of got the impression of, or an impression of how warfare works. That's just not what it is. If you guys have played, let's see. Call of Duty Finest Hour is the one that I grew up with. That's this, uh, like, GameCube game. It's on PlayStation 2 also, but it's sort of like a spinoff of Call of Duty 1. There's a part in the beginning pretty characteristic of these games where you do the Normandy Beach landing, and that's great. It's a big joint action, right? But Yeah, yeah that's great. That's great. Not that's what wonderful. I meant to say, but you get to this... <laughs> lovely, lovely? Wow, I couldn't even make fun of you correctly. I'm sorry. Good job. Thanks. You get to this machine gun bunker... And you have, like, six guys stacked up outside the entrance to the bunker, and your commander basically looks at you, and he says, clear that bunker, and then you go in by yourself, and you fight all the way to the top of the bunker and signal them when it's clear. So, you know, you just sort of get this impression that war is like a bunch of Rambos fighting fighting hordes. Uh, it's not. The other one that's even lamer than that is that I played a lot of Red Faction Guerrilla, and in that game, you can go up to a building with a sledgehammer and just topple it and so you get a weird idea of how brittle construction is it's not it's not that brittle especially Uh, on like especially in like mars in the future right like yeah these people suck at building things but they're doing it in space and mars Uh, yeah it's bizarre yeah those are mine those are good also (laughs) bonus one you ever played the game mercenaries it takes place in north korea I didn't know it took place in North Korea. I assumed the reason there was a Chinese, South Korean, Japanese, and North Korean base was because the game took place in all of Asia. Just like one so, cohesive Asian unit. Yeah, and I thought that Asia was just like war-torn. That it was just constant. <laughs> oh, no. Like if a South Korean car drove past a Chinese car, they would just start firing machine guns. That's what I thought. I was very young. That Those are all of mine. Yeah, I was only 16. <laughs> I was 18 years old. No. This was a month ago. I've changed since then. How about you, Alex? Um, so I guess the only thing that I could think of was, you know, when you're a child, when you play games where you are a child, those games want to give you, like, a sense of freedom. So, like, you know, in Pokemon, you could just you could just go around wherever you wanted. In Animal Crossing, you could buy a house. You could have furniture and, like, go out and make friends and not have to, like, have your parents set you up for playdates or whatever, right? That was really cool to me. And then eventually I started to realize, even as a kid, like, oh, this is, like, giving me fake free. It's, like, pretending what freedom is. 
But when I'm an adult, then I'll be able to do all these things. And and uh-huh. you and you can't. That's the that's the trick, right? So even when you're an adult, it's a different type of like freedom where when you're a kid it's like, "Oh, I I can't wait until I can get to this point." And then when you're an adult, it's like, "Oh, I wish that the real world was at this point. I wish my life was at this point where I could do these things and and be free, whatever that means." I've got a theory that the reason people so often stereotypically hate Tom Nook is because most people play those games when they're kids. And the way that the like landlord-tenant structure works where you're a captive audience and Tom Nook basically extorts you for money is not it's not like Tom Nook is a bad landlord. It's just like as a kid who doesn't know how the world works, that shit is so self-evidently exploitative that you hate Tom Nook. But then everyone loves Tom Nook when you actually get to be an adult because you're like, that guy... There's no payment schedule. He doesn't care what you do. You can you can go and sell him apples, and he makes your house get paid about it. He it's... gives he gives an immigrant <laughs> a job and like a no interest lease. Like I have no. I too have noticed the heel turn of Tom Nook lately. Like you 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 just show up randomly in this Damn. community, and this guy is like, oh, you're new here. Here is a home. Let me introduce you to everyone in the community. Allow me to integrate you into our society, and I won't just I won't even bother. With uh, interest or or payment no. schedules, just uh, live your life, man. He's the guy from It's a Wonderful Life. If he had more money, oh man, yeah. The character I can't remember his name either. The, yeah. the main character? Yeah, what's his name? Oh shit, what is his name? Is it yeah, who Char- knows? Charlie. If It's yeah, a Wonderful Life, if all Charlie. of the events of It's a Wonderful Life didn't happen, then yeah, he might be like Tom Nook. Oh yo, I thought I'd skateboard easier, better good oh maybe that too yeah that's a good one yeah oh that one came to mind for me too but it was that i always thought that skateboarding was way flashier than it is yeah what the because fuck? uh tony hawk skateboarding is so over the top and insane but it was my first exposure to skateboarding and then i you know got to an age where i could go like get skateboard tapes and they're just like kind of boring in comparison it's like i did a grind on a rail and did a dr- drop on a curb they're really cool, don't get me wrong, but when you're a kid, your expectation is set too high for how cool skateboarding is. It's really just pretty cool. Sorry, skaters in the audience. It's, it's pretty you cool. You were the one last night saying I am considering we should, buying we a skateboard. should get skateboards. I that would be fun that. to socially distance skateboard together. I agree. So. I agree. I am so. playing True Skate on my phone from the Google Play Store. That's true. I like skating. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now that we've done that, listener, there's your answers. I think we should get into the show. Alex... Yes. You got a game, a review code I did. this week. Tell us about this. I did. So uh, there is a board game, we're getting physical for a second here, called Evolution. And this game is sort of like one of those weird crosses between an educational game and like a, a board game board game. And I have heard of this game, been interested in this game uh, for a while, back when I had a brief uh, board game spurt, obviously pre-pandemic, and would try to get people to play board games or whatever. But... It's, it's, it's a neat little idea. The idea is, like, you and I think, like, up to six other people are, are creatures. And your goal is to evolve. You get a, a selection of cards that, like, are evolution, right? So, like, maybe if you get the long neck card, you're able to get more of the points, which are, like, little uh, balls representing food. They're little green balls. Uh, if you get a carnivore card, then you can go on the offensive against other players, Right? And it's this very clever, like, gamified warping of, like, Charles Darwinism, where it's like, you know, all here are the traits that people, that animals need to survive. Let's, let's gamify them. Let's turn them into cards and, like, decks and layouts. And you can kind of build your creature, not just on your interest, but based on the environment around you. The environment around you being the amount of food and the other players and what they're adapting to, Right. So then you adapt in response to whatever's adapting around you. It's a pretty clever idea. Um, but So it's like Darwin rules, but with intelligent design. You're, yeah. you're player god, player god. Yeah, yeah, it, it's like, you know, it's a very base level understanding of, like, the concept of evolution that's been gamified in a very fun and interesting way, but it doesn't, like, fictionalize any of it, you know? It's all, like, it's all pretty closely based in reality if that makes sense now you didn't specify you said this is a board game but you're not playing it as a board game i'm not playing playing it's a board game on a 
PlayStation Vita. Close. I'm playing it on a Nintendo Switch, which is... Oh, yeah. They're kind of close. Right, bigger Vita, yes. Yes. This does not... It doesn't mean life, but you know. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But I'm playing this on a Nintendo Switch. Uh, Apparently, this game has been out on Steam for a while, and people have really liked it. And so they got in touch with us and were like, hey, would you like or would you guys like to review the game? So I was like, hell yeah, I want to end on this. I like Aminals. The concept of evolution is interesting to me and I want to play a board game. I miss that feeling, right? Of like... And I also, like, some board games, I feel like are better in the digital space. Like, Nolan, you and me played a lot of Carcassonne uh, digitally because it was too hard yeah. to keep track of it physically, right? Because you had to, like, write everything down and, like, mentally keep track of it. It's not... There's a lot of, like, mi- micro-math in that game. That's a lot easier if you just let the computer do it, in my opinion. So I... With have... Carcassonne? With Carcassonne? Yeah. I think we're thinking of a different... No, it car- game, it's Carcassonne. Sure. As a... Where you're putting the little men on the tiles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The city. yeah. Okay. As a historically uh, big board game buff, BBB, <laughs> I don't agree, but I see what you're saying, and I think that... I don't think it makes a better... It makes it game, less I think work. It, it, it's a really good mobile game, actually. I believe so that. So I know what you're saying. Yeah, uh, I, I the one that stands out to me in my memory is playing... My family and I used to play a lot of Ticket to Ride. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know... Listen, I don't, I don't know I don't know what it is. Uh, feel free to di- diagnose me. Um, I don't have a very steady hand. I got a, I got a bad case of the shaky finger. And uh, when I'm playing Ticket to Ride, I tend to knock over my own little trains when I'm trying to put a train on my route with like that kind of pinpoint operation to your precision you need to slip that in without bumping trains around it especially when you have other players trains in the same route it's crazy yeah man uh, computer i can just click man so. who spills things confuses confused he knocks things down sometimes yeah i'm i don't have good motor control i can push a button pretty well that doesn't require a lot of precision so i like a video game you're like but, a uh, monkey i <laughs> When I was a kid and I played basketball, uh, we lost every single game. And then when I was a kid and I played soccer, we won every single game, but I didn't score a single goal. And then we lost the championship game because the coach said, nobody score a goal until Nolan scores a goal. Every opening you have, pass to Nolan. And uh, I don't just have a case of the shaky fingers. I got a case of the bad legs, can't kick a soccer ball very well. Uh, I wasn't very popular at that after I've, party. I've told bad. I've told that story to so many of my like sports friends, and they all like audibly wince whenever they it's get to really that It's really bad. Point. It's yeah. bad. Yeah, we were called the Mean Green Machine. That was the name of my basketball team. Fuck yeah. Which is hilarious because all I can think of is Doctor Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, which listener you may or may not know is a is like a port of Poyo Poyo. So that's my association. A game that I can't play because I'm colorblind. I'm full of these little shit things. <laughs> I, I, I can't do anything. You gotta get fixed. Okay. Someone, like, put gotta, you together wrong. You gotta get fixed. Yeah. yeah. Um, Actually, maybe maybe Poyo, if Poyo you... If you use the Sonic skins where you can look at the faces, that's, that's my <laughs> game. Maybe generations from now, though, you those negative traits will be bred out of you naturally through a process Correct. of natural selection, right? Uh, assuming, assuming we're animals, which we're not, because that's a whole other, like, shitty thing. Uh, <laughs> okay, but... Is, but is, is the game, concept aside, is it fun? The game is fun. The <laughs> application, the thing that I played it through, is absolutely positively not. It was okay. a miserable experience, and I'm sorry to say, but, like, the, it was riddled with weird bugs and, like, resolution issues. The game would constantly shift resolution if you were in the menu or if you were playing the game. And I'm playing this on handheld, by the way. Like... It was, it was super bizarre. Um, obviously, no one was online uh, because this is actually pre-release. So I wasn't able to uh, I, I wasn't able to play with anybody. But I played through the story mode, which is sort of like you know AI, and it's this cute little gimmick where it's like, oh, you're an explorer who's on this island, and you're documenting all of the wildlife um, while you play the wildlife. That was cute. Um, it's also, like, riddled with microtransactions. So people in the Steam reviews were saying this. It didn't used to have microtransactions. But now, you can pay for in-game, uh, like, avatars, which are, like, the, the, the huh. fantastical creatures that are in, in the game. Um, and, like, special cards, special decks that, like, enhance your... And I don't believe these exist in the, in the main game. 
but they do in this digital version. And it's it's this weird like clash of art styles and like this conf- AI that I think or not AI, I'm sorry. Um a UI that made it maybe more confusing than it needed to be. And it sucks because I think it's a really interesting neat game. I would love to play it with people and, you know, once the game maybe when it gets closer to launch and more uh critics or more people have their hands on it, I'd love to hop on online and try to play it. Perhaps but there's some secret meaning it it's a message for you that the <laughs> resolution randomly mutates until one of them works and you know the next what time you launch the game it will use that resolution that might not be too far from the <laughs> truth because like it doesn't it's, run it's... super well either it's like weirdly choppy like i don't need 60 fps mm. for a board game <laughs> but like it's a board game what's what's stopping you it's yeah, it's 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 really frustrating in in a lot of ways, and like I said, it's it sucks because I think that the core gameplay is really really great. So I want to say this is something that maybe you know this game's been out on Steam for a while. It's just getting a Switch port. Maybe it has the potential to change, uh, and maybe like run better on the Switch hardware. That's the main thing. I would like it to run better. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I think you mean to the potential to evolve. The, the yeah. Eventually, over multiple generations, uh, the game will run faster. But I don't have time for that. We got to speed up the evolution process here. Um, so give us the the verdict. Give us the bottom line. The verdict is: I think this game is an interesting game, but as an application, I think it really, really struggles and should fix some of the mechanical issues and reconsider some of the weird, like scummy microtransactions. In, Would in you game. buy the card game for the post-pandemic world? To- totally. That's what. That's the other thing I was going to say. Just real quick, it sucks that I can't play this card game in a pandemic world because I want to go buy the game and like get friends together and play it, but I can't do that. Yeah, yeah um, it sucks. So I, I, it's it's a it's a middling score from me. I'm sorry to say. So maybe in the future with some updates, it could be uh, worthy of some attention. Fingers crossed. Fingers yeah. crossed that eventually this card game will evolve into something that can stand the test of time on, on the Nintendo Switch. Well, so, my turn. <laughs> we got some news. Oh, okay. We have news. You guys, it's December. We just had an election. Yeah? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, man. Kazuko is just being so naughty right now. Our, our oh, cat. Yeah, she's acting like a dog. I'm just kidding. This is my segue. I'm, um, I'm... Naughty Dog has a new president. <laughs> oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Thanks. Who? I know. Who is that president? Well, he's a co-president, because that's how elections should work. We should just have the two presidents. We would do um, a vice president. Neil Druckmann is now co-president with the already existing president of Naughty Dog, um, Evan Wells, which is pretty cool. He has been the vice president for three years now, and he released a pretty cool game this year. And yeah. despite what... You know, we could all talk a lot about with their work environment and crunch. I think that as far as the actual work he does, he deserves this. And it's pretty cool to see somebody who loves the company so much have a higher place in it. If you guys don't know who Neil Darkman is, you probably do. Um, he's the director of Last of Us Part 1, Uncharted 4, and Last of Us Part 2. Um, but he's also been involved with the company all the way back since, I, I don't know, like Jack and Daxter, I suppose. He's been around for a long time. Yeah. Over 15 years, I think. Wow. That's wild, actually. I didn't know he was there for that long. Yeah, he's been there for a long time. I mean, after directing, like, three back-to-back, like, critical hits and, like, financial hits, like, it makes sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say about it personally. It's just, you know, this just got announced today, and I think it's pretty cool, especially because we keep hearing about all these companies whose you know, who's everybody is leaving. We talked about Halo a few weeks ago and how there's, like, nobody left on that project yeah, who started. Yeah. So it's really cool to see somebody, I don't know, getting credit for work that they do. Yeah. Congrats also to Allison Mori and mm-hmm. Christian Gerling, who are going to be replacing Neil Druckmann as the vice presidents. Uh, according to a blog post from Naughty Dog, Allison Mori was the director of operations and Christian Gerling was the director of programming so 
little bit, a little bit of yeah. shuffling, a little, little bit of moving and shaking over at the at, at, at Bad Kitty Productions. Let me just say, you can't have two presidents and two vice presidents. That's absurd. I don't see why not. Where's the hierarchy? It's uh, like one of the vice presidents for Neil and the other one for Evan. My biggest uh, fear is that you'll get like a too many cooks in the kitchen situation where like you keep having these creative differences and like it makes an issue. But well, I don't we know do much have about three hosts of this. We do have three presidents of this podcast. See, I I, I don't know that you would because. You know, Neil Druckmann has been the vice president of the company for three years, but when he was the director of Last of Us Part Two, I don't think that the president or other vice president was infringing on his creative direction. Yeah. I, I think that that would be a little bit separate. Though I guess there'd be something to be said for like the entire direction of the studio. Like, that's that's what I mean. Yeah. These like third person narrative adventures, or do we want to go back to a Jack and Daxter type thing? Well, Sony did just release a big thing about how. Or somebody released a thing about Sony. I don't have any sources. I wasn't planning on talking about this. Um, about how single-player games are thriving. Like, everyone knows they are. So mm-hmm. I doubt that. Um, yeah. Well, single-player games are uh, perfect for the times. Um, yeah. They're always going to thrive. Like, that's that's uh, my prediction. Yeah. Single-player games will never not be popular because, I don't know, man. People watch movies alone even though we like watching them with friends it doesn't preclude people from liking reading a book or something it's kind of silly to think that it will ever just be not something people want to do sometimes ea stop ruining games i like and also knock it off Don't get rid of all your friends in the gamer sphere the gamer sphere yeah i've a never heard whole of that sphere of gamers are we are we part of the gamer sphere yeah we're the core wow. I don't want to. I don't want to be in the middle of gamers. That sounds. That sounds well, not great. Let me tell you about somebody else who was part of the gamer sphere. Okay. <laughs> well, ten, tangentially part of the gamer sphere. This, this cracks me up. They were morally opposed to the gamer sphere, actually. Right. Yeah. They're 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 uh, positioned opposite the gamer sphere in a Mortal Kombat, if you will, a kind of uh, a kind of street fight, if you might, uh, a sort of turn-based combat. Uh, you know sort of to see who's the king okay i'm done yuri geller was an illusionist and uh a magician. i don't understand yeah a magician an illusionist that's right uh well i'm gonna performs tricks i don't know i haven't seen the rest of development <laughs> he had a claim that he made against nintendo that the Forever pokemon ago. a long yeah, long time a long time ago, ago. Uh, in the early 2000s he he requested a ban on the use of the pokemon kadabra because yes. <laughs> he claimed that Kadabra being a psychic type Pokemon and him being an illustrious illusionist magician, uh, <laughs> that they shared too many similarities. So, okay. And that there's, he couldn't have that. There's two things here. First of okay. all, I want you to try to read this to me, Nolan. I just linked some, in our group chat, I just linked some, <laughs> okay. a Japanese word, which is the, you, the Japanese name for Kadabra. It says Yungera. Yeah. So, okay. Yuri Geller is the guy's name. It's right. a magician pokemon its evolution is casey i think is is just how they pronounce it um so like america's pun was abracadabra alakazam right japanese uh, japan's pun with these characters was that they were close to famous magicians and illusionists and one of this guy's biggest claims to fame yuri geller was that he could bend spoons with his mind right and that became ah. that became a popular trope in japanese media like anime and of course the Pokemon Kadabra ha- carries a spoon with him that he bends with his mind because of Eri Geller. Well, wait a second, okay, though. But... That was in The Matrix. Yeah. He didn't make that up. But The Matrix came after Eri Geller because he was big in the 90s. Did he sue the Oracle? Okay, and let me say this about Yuri Geller. You can't bend a fucking spoon with your brain... Mr. Geller. <laughs> well, wait, well, hold on. This is this is his this is his IP. This is his thing. I don't thing. care. You keep pulling. The, we, me, me, and Janelle are battling. Speaking of battles, we keep pulling the mic back in each of our directions. It's really fun. <laughs> um, uh, I'm just uh, pissed about the spoon. I know the spoon man, Alex. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're around because I I I was I was quite reductionist on Uri Geller's claims. I was going to get to the spoon thing, but eventually. Uh, the important part of the story is that. It's been 20 years. It's been 20 years, but it's important to note that this is another weird thing. He sued the Pokemon company uh, right when the Pokemon company kind of did their branched off from Nintendo. I really don't know the whole details, but they sometimes operate as a separate entity and are able Mm -hmm. to like publish their games on like mobile or PC or whatever. 
Um, and he saw this character in a card, which he thought infringed on his rights because its name is an Uri Geller pun and it bends spoons and it's a psychic and whatever. Um, and told Nintendo, you can't print any more Kadabra cards. So since the year 2000, in the Pokemon card game, there has not been any Kadabra cards. The evolution of Abra just will sometimes just skip to Alakazam through like some sort of bullshit in the card games. Kadabra has not been in the Pokemon anime since wow. this. And so there's a mechanic in the Pokemon games where if a Pokemon... You need to trade Kadabra to evolve it into Alakazam. But if any po- if a Pokemon is holding an item called an Everstone, it won't evolve. Kadabra right. is the only Pokemon in the game that's hard-coded to skip that. So even if it's okay. holding an Everstone, it will evolve into Alakazam. It, it, they're trying to like make it so that you have a harder time keeping it a Kadabra, if that makes sense. Yeah. Abra's my favorite Pokemon. Really? Abra's I just great. to tell you guys that. Yeah, and Mew, those are the two. But Abra, They're both cute that, psychic love boys. That, love that tiny, tiny little cutie. He's a sleepy so, boy. The thing that makes the story important is that Uri Geller sent an email to Nintendo, uh, you know, due to popular pressure. He sent a letter to the chairman of Nintendo and gave them permission to relaunch the Uri Geller Kadabra slash Jung Geller Worldwide. That's that's the quote. And then he tweeted about it, and it's not... <laughs> I think I think the tweet is so funny. I think it's so funny. Janelle, do you want to read this tweet Thank you. out loud? I was really upset <laughs> okay. that you were going okay. to. <laughs> do you think our editors will throw in some sad music for uh, me? I hope so. Some Like, some sad piano, yeah. <laughs> Pretty please. <laughs> I'm sorry, hang on. This, this came after he shared an article on Twitter from a site called The Gamer. <laughs> I'm really sorry, I'm okay. trying so hard. I am truly sorry for what I did 20 years ago. <laughs> Kids and grown-ups, I am releasing the ban. It's now all up to Nintendo to bring back my Kadabra Pokemon card back. <laughs> my Kadabra Pokemon card. My Kadabra I, Pokemon card I back. love that because... Not only is the beginning loaded with such gravity, but also because it's now all up to Nintendo to bring my Kadabra Pokemon card back. It puts the ball in their court in such like a moral right? Way. <laughs> like, like, and he still takes credit for it. It's it's, it's his yeah. Kadabra card. I've done my part, Nintendo. It's all up to you now. <laughs> like, heed my words, kids and grownups. Nintendo is keeping this from you. I, I give them permission to you. Yeah, should, I give them permission for my IP to be used by them. I love it. If I love it. Anyone he should have sued? It's Steve Jobs. Have you seen him? Look at him. Yeah, really. Be- oh, is that what, a picture of him bending a spoon that you yeah. found? Yeah, with his brain. Wow. I'm sorry, magicians listening to the podcast. Hold on. I take that very seriously. Oh my God, Jesus Christ! This is another funny thing. The article that Janelle pulled up is from the vulture the, the first sentence says illusionist Uri Geller took to Twitter recently to apologize not for ruining silverware drawers the world over with his <laughs> copycat attempts at his famous spoon bending trick but for suing to prevent the character Kadabra from gracing Pokemon cards for almost 20 years <laughs> so what well now I think this man needs to answer for all the spoons he's bent I think yeah really he needs to answer for his crimes one really quick thing before we move on is that okay. this lasted 20 years without him caring, but recently on Twitch, there has been a popular trend of people opening up rare Pokemon card packs mm-hmm. uh, like that have stopped mm-hmm. being printed. And I wonder if somehow that got in the public conversation, because now Kadabra is a very rare card, obviously. They haven't printed any of them since the 2000s. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that got in the conversation, and maybe some people wrote think pieces or emailed him directly and were like, yo... What the fuck? Why would you why would you sue this weird tangentially related like pun? My I, love it. I don't want to like talk about this anymore, but I okay. have one thing to say yeah, yeah. and I just can't stop thinking about this. Not to like, you know, dismiss anybody's pain, but I'm just thinking about all the people who like 10 years ago were emailing this guy like, "Please, I need I need that Pokémon on a card. Never. I need him, please." Please give him back to please, us. Mr. Please, Mr. Gillard. Give him back to us. We need Kadabra. <laughs> Hashtag free Kadabra. I didn't even. I didn't even know this was a thing. I'm just. So. I'm just not over. I'm just not over the phrasing. <laughs> I'm just not over the way of beginning a sentence by saying "kids and grownups." <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great way to address anyone 
about anything. It is. He is Russian. Maybe that, it's a second language thing, but it's also kind of funny. I love it. I'm going to use it. So with that, I say, kids and grown-ups, we have more news. We do. I'm going to present it to you now. This is There's breaking news. This was revealed the movie. day we're recording it. This came out right today. There is a director named Jordan Voigt Roberts. Uh, you may know of him from Kong Skull Island oh and other movies. <laughs> and you may also know of him from his cameo appearance in Death Stranding as, I think he was called the film director or the movie director or something, something like that. Wasn't he yeah. just the director? He something? might have just been the director in Death Stranding. And the reason that was is because uh, it was a cute little reference to the fact that Jordan Voigt Roberts has been contracted to direct a movie adaptation of Metal Gear Solid, mm. which right when that broke, right when that movie went into pre-production, uh, out of the gate, out of the gate, uh, Poe Dameron, actor, uh, guy from Ex Machina, Inside Oscar Lone Isaac, Davis. Yeah, good guy. Uh, he came right out of the, the gate show? and said that yeah friend of the show oscar isaac god i wish came right out of the gate and said that he would like to play solid snake in a film of metal gear solid and got a lot of positive reception and uh today and literally today uh it's reported that that's happening he is going to be solid snake in that movie i think that is fucking sick that's awesome however i have no faith in this being a good movie um for a few reasons that I'll get to in a minute, but I want to talk about for a second how funny it is that everybody is really mad that all the news sites are posting the wrong <laughs> yeah. snake. <laughs> they all keep posting Big Boss. Wait, what do you what what? On like, if you look up look up the news, just like Google this news. Okay. okay. Yeah, do it on your phone. I don't want yeah. to get my mechanical yeah. keyboard clacking okay. in this podcast. <laughs> um, listeners, Alex, talk about it for a minute. Yeah. So there are like eight different snakes. In the Metal Gear Solid universe that are all... There's four of them, you liar. Okay, so you've got... There's Naked, Solid, Liquid, Solidus. That's it. Mm. What about uh, what about Iroquois Pliskin? What about yeah, that's, uh, Old, that's solid. old that Snake? Solid. That's solid. No, Iroquois Pliskin, Solid Snake died on that tanker four years ago, okay? Oh, Different character. Up. Different character. You're worse, than, you're worse than Huey, Emmerich. Wait. Not to be confused with how... Emmerich, not to be confused with the baby that Huey wanted to name after 2001 A Space Odyssey, not to be confused with the movie Doctor Strange Love, also a character in Metal Gear. Oh, look at that. That's the, using, wrong, that's the wrong snake. They keep using the wrong snake. And breaking, wrong snake. breaking news, what I'm also learning is that there were multiple websites that I saw that on earlier that have since taken out the picture of Snake and just had it be a picture of Oscar Isaac. People were harassing so, them so much so with the wrong I, snake? I get what you're saying. They, they they keep using, like, a picture of him next to Naked Snake or Big Boss. Yes, then, yeah. Okay. Oh, man. And it's funny. Or Iroquois Pliskin. I saw that once. I saw that one, too. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that but that's correct, technically. That's I'm going to stand by that one. That's correct. Listener, if that's correct, don't email us. <laughs> if you agree with Nolan, don't. Listener, if yeah. you would like an entire episode about Metal Gear Solid... Please let us know. Cir- circumvent we the will, Games We will talk about Metal Gear Solid. Email me directly. We've, email me directly. Nolan and I have been arguing over how bad he is at understanding the Metal Gear world and how I... I'm not. I'm so good the, at it. Nolan has like, like to like a, a dictionary. <laughs> it's a joke because he knows everything, you fucking guys. Oh, okay. Well, um, I, I was joking too. I am standing by that he is not Naked Snake for the entirety of three, obviously. And Nolan doesn't agree, but we'll talk I, about I that agree. on another episode, I guess. I, I, listen, Janelle's reasoning is that at the end of Virtuous Mission, they change code names, but at the beginning of Operation Snake Eater, Major Tom, henceforth known as Major Zero, says, we'll be using the same code names for convenience. Nobody in, specified Well, wait, okay, if so if all Snake... He was Naked Snake. He was Naked Snake in Virtuous Mission because he was going in, quote, That's naked. That's right, and then they they abbreviated it to Snake and they kept the same code name yes, forever. They no one, if all Snake... Not <laughs> naked Snake. If what makes Snake Snake is a code name, then Raiden is also Snake. Uh, no. Raiden is only Snake for the very beginning Okay, but he's still Snake. Incident. But okay. he's still Snake. And, and Snake is only Naked Snake for the beginning of three. Hold on. Let me... Liquid let me, Snake let me, is also Snake. Hold on. Let me, let me quell this. That's exactly what I'm saying, Alex. That's what I'm saying. You're on my side here, I think, because let me say this in, in 20 seconds. If his name was just Snake, then that would conflict with every other snake in the series, because they all... Okay, okay. Oh what, my God. What, what I'm saying is that Solid Snake's codename <laughs> is Solid Snake during all of Metal Gear Solid 1. However, 
the major refers to him only as Snake okay. for convenience. I'm sorry, so but what Zero, I'm saying, stop real saying quick, hang, hang it's okay. for convenience. Alex, Alex, you go, then I get my 20 seconds. Okay. Imagine listening to this podcast and not knowing a single goddamn thing about the Metal Gear Solid games. How upsetting and confusing this must be. And to hear okay. this news. All right, I'm sorry, continue. <laughs> and here is what I am saying. Give me 30 seconds. Okay. No interruptions. One, he is called Naked Snake at the beginning because he's going naked. Right? The mission ends. Yeah. <laughs> the mission ends. He's not naked anymore. He's going in with a gun. By the time he fights his beloved kind of mom. The boss. The boss. You Joy. cannot longer, you can no longer call him Naked Snake. He's not Naked Snake then. He is Snake and then he's Big Boss. But he is not Naked Snake after the end of Virtuous Mission. So you're saying he, be- okay, he becomes, I think this makes sense. You might be right. He becomes <laughs> Snake, right? He becomes Snake, and then the reason the other ones require a prefix is because they are variations or spinoffs yes. of Snake, Solid but, Liquid version, Solid yes. version. Yes. Because he's the he's the he's the progenitor. Yes. Of the snakes. God, yeah. You know what? I agree with you. I changed, ah! I changed my mind. Okay. Well. Yeah, I'm with you on this. You're one. both Come right. On. Like, there's no difference. <laughs> it just bugs me when people call him Naked Snake towards the end of the game when they're referring to him. Never mind. Oscar okay, Isaac's so going to be... Oscar, <laughs> Oscar Isaac's going to be in snake. the film. Fun fact about yes. the movie production is that this has been in the works for a long, long time, and Christian Bale came out and said he was a big fan of the Metal Gear Solid games in, like, 2010, maybe, but he denied really? any rumors that he was going to be Snake, even though he very vocally was like, I'm a fan of these games. Um, so this is the first time we've gotten an official confirmation of an actor playing Snake, Visually, I think he can do it, and also he's, oh, yeah. a, great, he's a great actor. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm curious to see how this is going to turn out. In yeah. my opinion, if this movie flops, it will not be his fault. Uh, I know, yeah. And we talked about this like a year ago when we talked about how Kojima wants to make his own movies. I'm there. For I it. don't see this working well as a movie because of Kojima's weird writing. Well, but what if you're taking Kojima's 12-hour okay, game and condensing yes. it to two? You're but everybody is saying that this guy who's making it is garbage, too. <laughs> so I'm just saying that I don't think that we're going to get a well a really great movie. The writer is the guy behind Detective Pikachu, so it'll probably be pretty okay. good. That's well, good. I didn't like that one either. Um, Holy shit. So this is confirming the suspicion of a Super Smash Brothers cinematic universe. That's true. Can you? What would that even be about? It would, it would just have to be like an action movie, like... That's all they do in that game. It would just be the Avengers with different skins. That's true, yeah. You can just swap them out. Oh, the hand? I don't get that lore. The hand no, represents hand. Sakurai and his no, desires. No, no, the, 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 the hand is the... In the beginning of Smash 64, they show that all the characters are, are figurines being played with by a kid in their room. The hands are them rebelling against the kid. <laughs> No, yeah. That's my, that's my theory. That's my theory. And then they're eventually... Out and they're gaining They're gaining sentience. Eventually, through each game, the hands evolve. Like, in Melee, there's yeah. Crazy Hand, which is, a, like, an yeah. alternate side of him. And, and there's, like, a face in one of them, too. There's a head. In, in, in Brawl, the story mode has Master Hand being controlled by an external force and not being able to exert control. In Smash 4, Master Hand is kind of just a guise. And when you break open Master Hand, it's this horrible, like, ball of darkness and contemption. And people have speculated, uh, yeah. like, this is Sakurai, this is a representation of Sakurai, right? It was, like, him playing with toys and video games that he loves, and then him eventually getting more and more worn out with the series. Um, you know, this makes sense, because there's the fury, and the end, and the pain, <laughs> and the fear, and the hand. I get it. Uh, and the hand, and the hand. <laughs> yeah. Snake, I heard there's a legendary sniper that is also a plant who fight you <laughs> real quick fan cast for a another metal gear solid character okay um oh god do i don't i don't i don't got it i don't i don't have time to think about it i don't oh, i don't shit. got it can can we come back to this question because uh, i want to think of one character for the end of the episode okay it's but, important to me. but okay. I've, I've got one off the top of my head um okay. have either of you seen the boys no no but so, i think i could figure out who you're talking about. Yeah, the the actor for Homelander, which is, like, the main antagonist of the series, is this, like... He's British or Australian, either one. They're the same. Who cares? Fuck you. Uh, but he has an American accent, of course. And he's got, you know, blonde hair. And he in this show, he plays this, like, psychotic, spoiled, almost, like, man-child who's obsessed with, like... He, it's, like, these obsessions. 
and he's very dramatic and like psychotic mm. i think he would make grow out his hair lose a little weight like thin up sleek out those muscles a bit i think it would make an amazing liquid snake really Ooh, yeah okay um the guy who plays house as hugh laurie hugh laurie Ooh. as uh, zero as zero? Oh, we're talking MGS three. I'm now. just thinking of a character. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I was thinking of I was thinking of solid, but Janelle hasn't played MGS one yet. Uh, so. Okay. Okay. You're going but chronologically. I'm thinking of a character. No, and I Hugh think Laurie, Laurie would be a fantastic Major Tom, Major Zero. Yeah, yeah. I just I gasped, listener. You maybe heard it because I saw a spoiler when I looked at the wiki. So that is where I'm at right now. My oh yeah, never plummeted. never do that with Metal Gear because you look up someone who is like a medical advisor in a game and they're like, they're behind the global conspiracy to end all uh, <laughs> yeah. shipping, I guess. It's great. Yeah. Well, listener, normally we talk at the end of an episode about the greatest game of a given year according to each of us. And uh, this episode, we would be up to 2019 uh, however, we already did that. It's a whole episode, and the internet is forever, and you can find it <laughs> if you scroll back far enough. Um, I think we might have even so called it like our Game of the Year 2019 episode. Yeah, so yeah. we won't waste your time talking about it again, because uh, Alex, if I'm, I'm given to believe here, we actually have a listener question that I figured we could give a, a good amount of time to. I hear it's a nice, it is. nice meaty one. It's so. technically... It's technically three viewer questions, but I'm sure okay. we can all kind of talk about it, each other's answers. Um, God, that, question time. Energy, the first episode energy. we've ever had multiple questions for? Oh my God. Maybe. Just, my heart is soaring. So. <laughs> I am excited. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is from anonymous friend. Uh, okay. They use she, her, hers pronouns. And they said, or she said, hey everyone. Smiley face. Really enjoying listening to your show, especially as someone who isn't a quote avid gamer, unquote. And I thought I'd ask each of you a question. Okay. My first question for Janelle is that you mentioned mm -hmm. being a big Dragon Age fan a few episodes ago. I am too, and wanted to know your thoughts on Dragon Age Inquisition, the most controversial one. And now this is Alex speaking. Isn't that Dragon Age 2? Not anymore. Um, I'm worried that you asked me this first because I could talk about this for two hours. Please do. We have I'm also minutes. a little worried that this is my one of my bosses, actually. <laughs> um, okay. Where, Did your boss has your boss bought Hades? Where, they also said that they bought Hades after we were talking about it, and they love it. This, so thanks for the recommendation. This this person isn't uh, my boss, but she's my boss's assistant, and she's a gamer. Well, don't call her out. She's Tell her about Dragon great. Um, I don't think it's actually her. That was a joke. We, okay. She's never talked to me. Um, okay. Dragon Age Inquisition was a difficult game for me because I looked forward to it like I've never looked forward to a game before. Um, I think it was the first time in my life that I could both wait for a game for three years and then afford on my own to buy a brand new video game. So I was really fucking excited about it. It was downloading all day while I worked at Old Navy, and I didn't want to be at Old Navy. I got fired for a reason. Um, <laughs> and then I played it, and I thought, God, my character looks really wet. What's up with that? That's weird. And I kept playing it, and I thought, this is okay. This is good. I'm collecting a lot of things. And then it never got better than that um, at all, which is crazy to me because it has, in my opinion – the best landscapes, the best characters, some of the best writing, but it's the worst game. Um, Alex, you mentioned 2. Yeah. 2 is the first Dragon Age game I ever played. I played it before I played Origins, oh, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I fucking love that game. The people that complain about it have very valid reasons, too, and there are some complaints that I have as well. Namely, kind of like Fallout New Vegas, it didn't have very much time to get made so they had to recycle a lot of areas so basically like there are two different places in the game i think that will get recycled for different types of fights which really sucks um especially because origins was so massive but the writing is really good in two and the characters are really good and everybody's incredibly charming and inquisition would be charming too except for it feels so hollow I think that by making it such a massive game and making you so important, it you're incredibly important in all of them. You know, you're no more important in, in Inquisition than you are in 
one, obviously. But it, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. I'm kind of losing my mind because I just lost my thoughts. But like, it just changes the role of what you should be doing in a Dragon Age game so severely that it it no longer feels like a game where you're running around with your buds and having fun and killing guys. It feels like a game where you are untouchable because you're the leader and you're more important than everybody and it feels kind of gross and I hate that. So really quick, I, I have never played a Dragon Age game. I, I am I know very little about Dragon Age, but my mm-hmm. roommate and uh, my old roommate and a bunch of her friends were super into Dragon Age and they were always telling me that I should start with Inquisition and I should skip two. <laughs> and that was my understanding for a long time. And then when I got this question, I was like, wait, is that right? And then I no. did some research and was like, wow, people actually really hate this game. Or they really like this game. It seems to be like, it's really controversial, to say the least. Yeah. Um, Inquisition was something actually that Jason Trier wrote about in his book, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. And one of the big things was that EA required, for whatever reason, they decided that they wanted every single game to be on the frostbite engine oh i heard about this yeah yeah the frostbite engine is made for first person shooters so it doesn't support uh it had no thing in place for an inventory it didn't have a save not not like a only did it not have a save interface it literally didn't support creating saves um it only supported checkpoints uh it didn't have anything in place that allowed people to open doors it didn't allow area transitions because it only accounted for enclosed levels um it 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 is it's just not it's like someone telling you you have the every car you make going forward has to use like pedals like a bike because you just they just do you'd have to redo the entire thing Mm -hmm. from scratch and we own the rights to um, pedals we don't want to pay anyone else any extra for wheels get to work there was a a pretty severe amount of Dragon Age Inquisition had already been made when EA basically came in and forced them to port it to a separate engine. And then a lot of their level design they already created was completely like useless. It was like the game wouldn't work in the framework they had built it in anymore. So they had to remake a lot of it. And so at least that's my understanding of why a lot of the writing is really good. And a lot of it, cause the vision was there, the vision was mm-hmm. solid, but the development was a complete trash fire because of EA. Yeah. Like the, the thing I said about it looking wet, like that was something everybody complained about at first because of the engine it was <laughs> on. Like that's not a joke. Huh. Yeah. The character looks really wet. And there were some smaller things that made it just kind of a bummer. Like, yeah, the overall story was kind of a mess and not as good, but I don't know. People asked for more than like, <laughs> like five hairstyles for a really long time they had i'm not i'm not joking i don't remember the exact number but it's something like 10 hairstyles five of them are different types of bald that's not a joke what so people were really disappointed because in the older games you could make your character look at least a little bit more customized and interesting um they spoiler but this game came out like four years ago they bring back the protagonist from two and then either kill them off in a really stupid way or they just don't come back or or they like or you have to kill somebody else who's really important to you um and they bring back hawk but he doesn't he or she i always played male hawk doesn't actually look anything like they do in the second game which is kind of weird and it's little things like that that just made it feel a little disconnected from i think what players wanted it to be okay interesting um the companions are dope so that's my long-winded answer thank you for that question i love you (laughs) uh and then uh, she said, for Alex, you mentioned recently that Far Cry 3 is, quote, a little racist, as you put it. And I was listening to it with my boyfriend, and he was shocked and confused by that. What exactly did you mean by that? And I mean that in that game, you play as, like, a white, broy like, spring breaker who goes to nondescript Southeast Asian country for spring break and then is captured by pirates and or guerrilla leaders and then becomes the savior of the island and gets, like, tribal tattoos and collects indigenous artifacts. And it, at the very least, if it's not racist, it's insensitive. And if even less than that, it rings really, really hollow, right? Like, there's something... It's, it's a very, like, sloppy white savior. For every, like, interesting line of dialogue, which, by the way, only Voss has, everything else about that game, plot-wise, is, is, is not... A thing it, when Voss is out of the picture, but 
yeah, I, I guess that's a shorter answer, but you know, at the very least, it feels a little bit insensitive. I'll say that, um, which sucks. It's like yeah. a solid game. Like it's very, very fun to play. I have fond memories of that game, but a little bit like Bioshock Infinite, I played it several years ago after I had played it first and was like, hmm, maybe maybe this hasn't aged well, or maybe it was never well when it was originally made. So I also think that it's one of those cases where like with Bioshock Infinite as well, it's not as though anything is evidence of some kind of like racist intent. It's just it's like told in a way that has a problematic Yeah, it's uh, it's insensitive. Result. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw somebody tweet out something once that was really interesting, and I think this is really relevant, where they said like people love to get um, like cultural consultants on games so that they know which toys that they can play with. They have more toys and more tools to play with. But they never seem to want to listen when somebody says that a certain toy has lead in it and will poison you if you play with it. Right? Like, they just want mm -hmm. more and they don't care about, like, any negative consequences. Which is also extra weird because this game is, like I said, nondescript Southeast Asian country. It's not a real place. And it's sort of like an amalgamation of every, like, tropical island they, they the, the the idea in yeah. the flavor text is they've imported wildlife. That's why there's like jaguars in this Asian archipelago or whatever, right? Like, yeah. You know, it's uh, there's a lot of little lame parts about Far Cry Three. It's a good game though. It's a fun game. I like I like Far Cry Three. I think that it hasn't aged. This isn't about like the writing. I just think the game hasn't aged as well as it could have because of that whole Seinfeld's not funny trope where. Far Cry 3 was so influential. It was such a runaway Yeah, every Ubisoft game is like, Far Cry 3 now. Well, not even just Ubisoft. It's 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 the open world game blueprint. I mean, it's either that or the Bethesda blueprint or some combination of the two. You know what? Uh, my petition, my pledge to game developers, use a more interesting blueprint. Do like the, I don't know, man, like the Dragon's Dogma one. Oh, come That's weird. on. You know, it wasn't that good when it first was done, but make it better. People, lo people love Dragon's Dogma. Yeah, I, I like it too, but I, I was being like diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and finally for Nolan, okay. excellent segue, by the way. Finally for Nolan, you mentioned living in Japan for a while, and a few times have made distinctions between Japanese and American games. And I really wanted to know about more about what the differences are that make them so unique. Wait, we were just talking about this the other night, we were, like in yeah. depth at home. That's Wait, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a really good question. I, I think the first thing I'd have to say is, is like, obviously there's no one blanket distinction you could throw over the two industries because they're so diverse. Um, there's so many Japanese game developers, so many Western game developers, and those umbrellas are, are like too big to, to summarize. But I do think there's a lot of really interesting, uh, trends that differentiate kind of like what tends to succeed in each one. I think there was an episode where I went over the top 10 best-selling list of um, America and Europe and Japan. And you'll notice that in Japan, the games that tend to succeed a lot of the times are very uh, creative is a misnomer because, you know, you can make a gritty creative game too, but they're very bright, they're very colorful, and they're very, they're very inventive. Um, Whereas I think that a lot of the games that succeed over here in the West, again, not in every case, but in a lot of cases, tend to be really, really highly polished versions of a familiar concept. So, for example, you have a company put out something successful like um, Dragon Age or Mass Effect, and then you're going to get a whole litany of really uh, hyper-realistic-looking real-time combat choice-based rpgs with companion systems and codexes and all that jazz and there a lot of them are going to be hey this is a sci-fi game or this is a fantasy game and they kind of fit these molds obviously that can be true in japan too but just like the i don't know man i i think that there's just some weird concepts that come out of there and it's kind of they they succeed i don't know i'm not japanese maybe maybe because the expectation is is somewhere more towards that creativity than just being really good at whatever the thing someone else is doing is 
I'm not articulating this very well. It's like I, it's kind of like a hard thing to articulate, you know. But I, I don't. Maybe that makes some amount of sense. Yeah. I don't really know. Um, in um, in my plebeian view, just like super speedy, American yeah. games tend to prioritize like story and cinematics and try to pretend to be a movie every once in a while. Yeah. Japanese games tend to have a, a stronger focus on like gameplay and feedback and. Yeah. Yeah. And th- th- this one is is really getting kind of just to be like my own personal theory this is what janelle was talking about her and i were discussing the other night um western games what is popular right now is photorealism and the consequence of photorealism just in general is that your game no matter what it's doing is going to be vastly more expensive to develop so if you're going to create a game and you want to compete in like uh you want to compete with the visuals of a game like Uncharted. You're going to have to pour a lot more money into doing that. You're going to have to have motion capture. You're going to have to have voice acting. You're going to have to have unique animations for basically everything. You have to have hair movement. You have to have cloth physics, all these things that that just drive your cost way up. And so the consequence of that economically sometimes is that the games tend to play it safe. You know, they go with, hey, uh, Uncharted is super expensive, but it's also a third-person shooter with platforming. Okay, there's a million of those. Uh, People like those. Uh, We're going to make ours really flashy, but it's just one of those. Um, Whereas, I think to some degree, the fact that the anime art style is so popular in Japan, anime is, like, way cheaper to make. You just, you know, you make, like, a character shape. You could just throw one... uh, color on their clothes and put like a lighting on it obviously it's way more complicated than that but the the level of complication is different so they can differentiate themselves mechanically or with their lore or with their aesthetic you know there's a lot more room to branch out but the problem with that and what i dislike so much Uh like with the anime trend is that by doing that no game looks other than for gameplay reasons and of course this is just speaking you know as an umbrella no particular game stands out as more interesting than the other anime game. But is that and, uh, not the same principle behind, like, every other game that's trying to achieve photorealism? They look different. I, I, think, it, I think it depends on what you're focusing on, but, like... Because real... Hang on. No. Point too. For a second. No, because real human beings look different than each other. Yeah. I don't look the same as Nolan, and neither do you. But all anime characters look the same because you could take off their hair and you couldn't tell a difference between their face. It I is see. Yeah, I see where you're getting at. Yeah. Completely yeah. different. You know what I mean? Like, also, I know that I'm the SJW of the podcast, but uh-uh. in the West, we've come a little bit further with giving a shit about minorities and not over-sexualizing women. Time out. Nolan, you know? what was that noise? Can you replicate that noise you just made? I said that's true? No, no, no. Before that. When I said, uh-uh. No, you made like a you made like a, a soul escaping noise. When? Uh, it was like. Uh... What are you talking about? No, I went. Uh uh-uh. uh Oh, it didn't sound like that. But anyway, I'm sorry. She said know. she was saying she's the SJW with the podcast. Which she's not. I saying, like I was saying, don't don't pigeonhole yourself. We're like all that, the SJW you know? yeah. of the podcast. That's uh, if that sounded soul sucking, my bad. It was it was <laughs> supposed to sound encouraging, but. <laughs> No, um, it didn't sound like it was soul-sucking. It sounded like you were sucking something's soul out of its body. Gotcha. Yeah. Big uh, difference. Anyway. I know that, yeah, sorry, that question spawned a lot of, like, meandering nonsense because that's sort of like a hard, that's a really... That's a big question, and it's not a universal one. It's not as universal kinda, as we make it sound. That's the kind of thing you want to see someone write, like, a paper about because there's a ton of nuance there that I, I just don't know. But my opinion, my basic opinion, is that I don't particularly love one over the other, but I statistically i tend to end up finding japanese games more interesting because they're just i just think there's they're more surprising to me it's about it really for me yeah like if a if a yakuza game came out here yeah. was designed in america you wouldn't have the karaoke or the yeah. weird parts or the fighting men dressed like babies i like the i like the wacky like tonality and the willingness to do weird things like we're gonna we're going to make an entire AAA game about crafting potions, and every single mechanic is about crafting different types of potions and preparing to do that. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. The market just doesn't do that here very much. That's yeah. about it for me. Yeah. Well, thank you for those questions. Yeah. Those were, yeah, those were so amazing. Thank you, Emilian. Um, that was really good. We've got like a minute. Do you guys have any more, any more fan casts for the uh, Metal Gear Solid movie? You said you did, Janelle. Well, that was before I came up with a really good one. <laughs> okay. What was your other one? 
I didn't have another one. Oh, um, okay. I haven't played MGS one. I don't know. I guess Oscar Isaac is Snake. Well, that that's not yeah. a that's a real cast. That's not a I fan would... cast. God, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, well, that has been the Emerald Games cast, episode forty-eight. My name is Nolan. With me has been Oscar Isaac. And wait, salt. Wait, liquid. Quotation marks. Venom. Quotation marks. Oscar Isaac. Snake. That's gonna sound so bad to people who know, and so fine to people who don't. Yeah. Liquid venom snake. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. And, and also with me has been... Uh, naked Oscar Isaac. hey Ew! Would like to recess those genes, if you know what I mean. Ew! Uh, send us a solid question, uh, if you'd like to, <laughs> at the emeraldgamescast at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to uh, send us another inquiry, you can uh, pour your soul out to us on Twitter at ODE Gamescast, and we will uh, d- nakedly... That's nope, not a synonym nope, for nope, honest. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, we, we'll answer it. We'll do it on the podcast. Also, in a couple of weeks, we'll be recording our Game of the Year 2020 episode. If That's there's true. a game you want us to talk about, message us. Maybe we will. Maybe yeah. not. Yeah, give us we're, recommendations. We're hoping to have some, some holiday surprises up our sleeves. Fingers crossed in time and, you know, schedules permitting. So keep an eye out for those. Yeah. Uh, see you next week for episode 49. Play some fun games. I'm not an ocelot, and you're not a snake. We're both men. There you go. Snakes don't belong in Alaska. See you next week.